Hello and welcome to the Landmark Theatre's Q&A podcast. Today we'll hear a Q&A with writer-director Chinoya Chuku and actors Alfred Woodard and Aldous Hodge about their film, Clemency, moderated by Scott Mance. This Q&A was recorded at the Landmark in Los Angeles on the film's opening night. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Scott Mance. Thank you so much for joining us tonight at this very, very special screening here at the Landmark Theatre of Clemency. What did you think of the movie? Very, very powerful film, and I'm very, uh, very excited to moderate tonight's conversation about the making of this extraordinary movie. I'd like to welcome to the stage writer. She is, she is a winner, the winner of the Grand Jury Prize at the Sundance Film Festival. Please welcome writer-director Chinoya Chuku. Please welcome to the stage, he is a SAG Award nominee, Aldous Hodge. Ladies and gentlemen, oh, ladies and gentlemen, right here, this is Oscar nominee and Emmy Award winner, Alfre Woodard. So uh, the 2019 Sundance Film Festival was in January. That was almost a, almost a year ago. To, to discover that film at Sundance, which is just a great thing about, about Sundance, my favorite film festival of all of them, and to have it win the Grand Jury Prize, and to sort of go sort of like uh, silent for about eight or nine months, and now, to sort of, now that it's in theaters, with just stellar super reviews. What's it like to like go to that high and then kind of hang out and then come back to this movie? Um, I mean, from the filmmaker's perspective, you ne I never felt that kind of lull, right? right? Like I, the the distribution, the ex this stage of the filmmaking process or the life of the film is like the final stage, and now I feel like. I could breathe, I can release. And so until we got to this moment, I was always in it and was feeling it and just really anticipating this very moment throughout the whole year and figuring, and, and, and so yeah, so I just, I, I was always in it. And so, but it feels amazing to finally be at this place. And we've been screening the film throughout the whole year oh, yeah. at so many different festivals and partnering with so many different community organize, organizations. And so really building and galvanizing audiences so we can be ready for this moment. And it's been incredible. Well, you know, the script is the thing. Uh, and it really does start with the screenplay. So the question really is like, like, what was your inspiration? Like, what made you say, I've got to write this story and I've got to make this about this, this uh, morally conflicted prison warden? Like, who is Bernadine and how did you uh, find yourself in her? Well, I was really inspired to write this the morning after Troy Davis was executed. And so Troy Davis was a black man executed in Georgia in t September 2011. And um, hundreds of thousands of protesters 
people protested his execution, including a handful of retired wardens and directors of corrections. And so I was really fascinated by their by their journey um, because they when they were protesting against his execution, they spoke to the emotional and psychological consequences killing Troy. Um, would have on the prison staff sanctioned to do so, and they drew on their own personal experiences of having overseen hundreds of executions. And that question of what must your livelihood be like when it's tied to the taking of human life just fascinated me, and I was obsessed with it for years. You know, when you, when you read a screenplay like this, like how do you find the humanity in, in your characters, so what was your first take when you when you read the screenplay for the first time? All this and then and then Alfred. Um, for me, I think my first take was how brilliantly executed the subject matter was, because for me it talked so much about how we deal with one another and the actual relationship we have when it comes to empathy and mercy. I think the humanity for Anthony was already there. You know, I think that's what drew me to him because here's a man in this trap situation and he has to be his own version of hope and faith and he has to continually fabricate it out of thin air given his circumstances. But I thought he was a great vehicle and to a degree a metaphor for the idea of humanity because at every turn that it was to a degree almost being taken away, he was so deserving of it and he exemplified that. So, um, you know, I thought it was just kind of on the page already. How about for you, Afri? How did you find the humanity and the dignity in Bernadine? Um, everybody has humanity and dignity inherent in them. Mm -hmm. So you find the human being, no matter who they are. Um, so um, whose thing is that? I mean, ding, ding. <laughs> <laughs> but um, besides the fact that I didn't know there were prison wardens, I mean, I mean, prison women, women prison wardens, and thought about it, uh, and especially a death row prison warden, my ears pricked up at that right away. Mm -hmm. And in reading, I understood that that there was so much to be discovered there. Mm -hmm. And when I go to work, I like to have a real task. And uh, we all know, actors especially know that that life happens in between the lines. It's not what you say. Most people don't say their intentions, their subtext out loud. So that's the thing to be discovered. And what you gave us was like this entire, you know, hidden treasure. <laughs> and we all set off. The only people that would come to that were people were actors who uh, thrived on discovery. Yeah, Shania, when you first set about telling the story. Was it always your plan from the beginning to make your main protagonist uh, a, a female ward instead of uh, a male ward? Or did that come out of your research and your conversations with wardens and, and all the other people that you had interviewed during your research? I didn't, it's always been a black woman to me. I mean, that's, <laughs> there was no further thought. I had no, you know, I mean, yeah, sorry. <laughs> that's what it was. <laughs> and so, yeah. <laughs> she said what she said. <laughs> it, yeah. When you, when you were, when you were getting the film made, when you were trying to get the film made, yeah. 
Like, did you get any any sort of resistance from potential financiers about the race and the gender of your protagonist? I mean, I was my non-negotiable was that the warden is a black woman. Like, it wasn't even like I, I was very adamant and clear. And I mean, Bronwyn, where's Bronwyn, our producer? Bronwyn, hey, Bronwyn. Yes, uh. we can give her a round of applause. I mean, I think like I was very clear with Bronwyn from the beginning that the warden's a black woman. There's no negotiation, and so I guess this is just gonna sit on my hard drive until <laughs> she's a black woman. Like it was like I was very comfortable with that, and so with do doing that, and so I'm I, I'm sure it wouldn't have taken like I'm sure it would have taken a less amount of time if the warden you know was a different race or gender or whatnot. Um, but and and I know, but I, it it this was the only way that I could see imagine the story being told. That is very true. So Alfrey reminds me of things. So um, yeah, so our investors, our financiers, Ace Pictures, who were amazing, this was their first film that they financed. Um, they were really were adamant about financing a film that had a female protagonist. So it was really uh, um, a great, we met at the right time because they were looking to finance a project that had a female protagonist and I would only make this film with a black female protagonist. What, what, what about the research that... that yeah. yeah. Oh. Yes, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what about the research that the both of you did, uh, starting with you, like talking to obviously other wardens and making the rounds? Um, my filmmaker uh, smartly asked me would I go on a prison tour in Ohio with her, and because I knew nothing about the world, um, and I'm always, another reason to act is that you have to remain in a constant state of learning, even into your sixth and seventh decade. So I said yes, and we went off, and because, and Chinoyo can tell you about her history, uh, why she was so trusted by the people that we met there, but we went to women's medium security and men's medium and maximum security prisons, and we had the privilege of spending some time with two condemned men. We met wardens. I met three wardens, a deputy warden. They were women, black women. Uh, there's eight women wardens in the state of Ohio, um, and I think five of them are sisters. Uh, we met the director of corrections and uh, a man that has overseen more uh, executions than probably anyone because he was in those states that, that sort of take you out. Um, so we got to be on the ground, very personal with people whose this is their life and no one had ever asked them about their life and it was vital for us to tell the story from their point of view because we knew you would want to hear their story and we would need to hear their story to keep having the conversation or driving it forward about state-sponsored execution. Well, that's fantastic. Uh, what about your research? My research started with uh, this brilliant woman right here. Uh, sitting here having conversations with Janoya because she had already done so much research prior. And then after that, uh, well, she told me about uh, Troy Davis, and she gave me the book, I Am Troy Davis, uh, story about this man who was executed in Georgia, what was it, 2011? Mm -hmm. Yes, was it September? Mm -hmm. um, and after I read that, 
it sort of started shaping my idea of what the reality might be for uh, my character. And then was sent up to San Quentin with Bronwyn. We went up there and we spoke to the brothers who were serving life sentences. They gave us a tour of the facility. We spoke to the warden. Um, saw the, you know, the, the the gas chamber. We you know we saw everything. And then. Uh, was not permitted to speak directly to the men who were serving on death row, but I was able to observe them. And one of the craziest things that I saw was that when they were transferred across the yard, they were every other inmate was by protocol made to turn their backs and not look at them or speak to them. So it really informed my idea of what this really uh, entrapped reality they live in for you know X amount of years, up until either they receive clemency or they take their last steps. But uh, it was quite an education and the idea of who and what people can be aside from the things that they have done. Mm-hmm. Because these men are so far removed from what they have done 5, 10, 15, 20, 60 years ago. Mm-hmm. You know, and they're actively trying to rehabilitate themselves. It's a very different experience than one might presume. You mentioned the trust that you had earned with the people that you had sort of talked about for research. Mm-hmm. How did you earn that trust? Oh, um, I think the, fir- the first thing is that uh, um, I volunteered on clemency cases. So I, I was living in New York City at the time when I decided that I was going to begin writing the script and researching. And I did a lot of secondary research where I read a lot of books, watched a lot of films, talked to a lot of the wardens and directors of corrections who had protested against Troy Davis's execution, talked to uh, additional people. But then I decided that I needed to move to a death penalty state. And I not only needed to do that, but my making the film had to be intimately intertwined with me advocating for the people whom I was representing. And so I... (laughs) I sent this cold email to uh, a nonprofit legal organization who focuses on clemency cases for incarcerated women. And I was like, you don't know me, but I will work for you for free. And just trust that I'm not like, like I like really will do this. And there was an organization who said, you know, we have a case for a woman named Tyra Patterson who's serving a life sentence for crimes she didn't commit. I was like, all right, cool, I'm on board. And so I spent a couple of years of my life volunteering on the legal team. And um, I, I subsequently then worked on um, 13 more clemency cases. And, that is, and, and when people within corrections were seeing me w- do that work, and knowing that I wasn't just interested in making a film, but I was really interested in telling a story with integrity that was going to um, impact people and hopefully move our, our culture forward and, and really be rooted in humanity, I think that that allowed them to see that, okay, we can, we can share our stories. And, um, and then when th- that, the advocacy work I was doing led to me creating a film program in, a, in, in Dayton Correctional Institution where I taught incarcerated women to make their own short films and script to screen. And that work really opened the door, really like made people a lot more comfortable with me and like opened me up to different relationships to people in corrections, even though they know my personal politics, even though they know where I, like there was no question where I stand, but they're like, oh, she's interested in the humanities of people in this world. And so um, that, yeah. That's amazing. That, that's, that's, that's earning trust. Uh, you, you talk, Afri, about the discoveries, think that there was so much you didn't know about. Like, what were the discoveries you made on the, on the grand scale about the, the prison system, about the death penalty, and, and on the more personal 
scale about the psychological impact that these jobs have on the, the lives of the, the people that you met? Well, I have been sickened uh, since I was eight years old growing up in Tulsa every time they fried somebody. Uh, and you're a kid and you go to Sunday school and, and it, you can't explain that to a, a young person that that person committed or did not commit a heinous crime in a fit of passion or, or madness, but 20 years later, we're gonna have a ritual and, and there's gonna be a, you know, we're all gonna put that person to death. It just, you know, nobody could explain it and people didn't really talk about it. So, so that's, that was what I knew of the death penalty before I um, got to be an activist in my teens and understood how it worked. Um, I would be always on the side of Marty. I would be on the side of petitioning, of vigils. Uh, we were, uh, along with uh, Snoop and Jamie Foxx, trying to stay the execution of Stanley Tookie Williams here in California. But I know when you, when you are going to play a character, any character, you leave everything about you behind and you discover that person's, the way they look out in the world, the way they, they speak, the way they smell, the way they move. And so, your work has to do with bringing that voice forward. And it's more intriguing to me I don't feel like anybody wakes up in the morning and says, you know, how am I going to be an asshole today? <laughs> Everybody thinks, okay, I, I, we can solve this. I know a way to bring this about. And so it is a sign of growing, or you hope to grow, by actually understanding somebody's point of view that you really don't agree with. And so that, that was the adventure. It, it fell immediately into place when I met these women because they'd be women in your book club, women in, at your, wherever you go to, to party, at your church or something, and they were more balanced than most of the people I know. Uh, they were just calm, and then I learned that they come to those positions not out of sadism, but from the mental health profession, from social work, uh, from public, um, what do you call it, like public health administrators. Um, and you just listen. You sit and listen to people. You meet them where they are. And you still live uh, diametrically opposed to where they're standing, but you understand them. And that solves a lot of things that ails us. Wow. Wow. Uh, Aldous, I want to talk about, about Chinoy's yes. Yeah. <laughs> so. To, to make a film like this, where the scenes are allowed to breathe, where, where the, uh, the performances are, are, are they're, they're so genuine. Everything about the performance is so genuine. Everyone is just allowed to act. And everything just feels so, so honest. Like, what was it like to work with an actor who just lets you perform? And it's, you know, it's not a, a it's very understated, genuine, authentic feel to it. You know, it just felt so real. You know, and it's an actor's dream to be able to do that. Absolutely, yeah. Well, um, we had to come knowing what was going on because we had about 17 days to shoot this. 
17? 17. 17. Oh, yeah. Oh, we we let it breathe. We was breathing real fast. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, I, I shot the bulk of my work. I, I shot all my work in five days. Um, so I think uh, it just came, that meant preparation, right? Just for me, my personal experience was that everybody came to it with their hearts full. Everybody came to it with the right intention and, and with respect for one another and, and one another's craft, right? What we were going to bring to it. And then when we got to set, it was just like, all right, we know what we want to do. Let's create. Let's get it. And for me, again, my time frame didn't really matter because we were just in the moment. And it was about building on exactly what the potential of this project could be in, in everything that we did. Everything was intentional. That's exactly what I got when I read the script. That's exactly what I got when I knew who the cast was. Um, I understood the magnitude of what this could possibly be, right? But it's such a blessing when you can create um, in unison. And, and there was no friction or rigidity when it came to, hey, look, how about this, da 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 Like, no, it was just cohesion 24-7. And I will say for me, dominantly, I did rely on these two brilliant geniuses right here, particularly for my performance, because I had to trust. And that's what it was when you're wrapped into this very delicate and sensitive bubble of, of, of art, because this is not a narrative that you want to mess up, right? You can't, and then at the end of the day, it's not even about you. There's a bigger purpose beyond this, but we had to trust one another to really bring out the beauty of what this was. And I just, I, our entire cast was just, they were monsters at bringing what they wanted to bring. I mean, if we can give a little love to, to Richard Schiff and Wendell and Danielle Brooks, Michael O'Neill, uh, 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 with your gun, um, Alex Castillo, like like uh, La Monica Garrett, like everybody, nobody was playing around. Um, so, so who did I miss? I, I missed a few folks. Michelle Bonilla. Michelle, what, what's that? Michelle, yeah, yeah, like everybody was bringing it. You know what I mean? But Alex Castillo. I, I, see, I say it, Alex. We got Alex up in there, you know. Alma Martinez. Alma Martinez, yeah. So, but everybody really came to play. And that's what I love to see. That's when you see real professionals at work really getting it. Yeah. Well, 17, 17 days. Oh. 17. 17. Uh, Alfred, what was it like for you to work? I mean, you know, with all the, the, the TV works at a very, very fast pace. Uh, so, but still, the, the, the way that the camera really holds on Bernadine, uh, especially, you know, towards the end of the film, during a very, very crucial scene, like, what was, what's it like to film scenes like that where the camera really just holds on you for so long? Well, you know, the camera is actually your partner. It's your acting partner as well. Uh, and before there was a video village, your director and your DP were your partners with your actor, with your fellow actor. And so none of us are separated in that moment of action because those, those uh, three people, your, your director, your DP, your operator, and your partner are all parts of speech and sentence construction that is telling the story. And 
you're, you are always your character. You are not yourself. Yes, there is a part of you that is flying the plane, but you're, so you're conscious, but you are in motion as that pilot. And so, and living the life of that pilot. So it's not like you're thinking of anything else. If you are, you're not focused, and you can tell. But once you're Anthony, once you're Marty, once you're Bernadine, you can roll all day because people never can stop being who they were. What's your name, man? Alex. Alex is Alex all day. It doesn't matter when they say cut or not. We can hold that camera on you, whatever you're doing, and go with you. And you can only be true to Alex in that day. So that's the task and the work of the actor. Yeah. And I just want to, one little tidbit. <laughs> uh, little little scotch. Uh, so, yeah, we got to give some love to Chinoya for the fact that I know this seems like a, you know it's, it's this this movie it's a lot of gravity to this film but she, this woman came with this bubbly attitude every single day hey what's happening you know that enthusiasm just permeated the set and that's what also keeps things moving and that we now understand what we're being led by and 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 her attitude her candor and I thank you for that Aww. and that. She kept us light, she kept us up, she kept us aware. And it was a great working environment for something uh, that is as emotionally taxing as it seems on screen. We had a fantastic set. And it starts from the top down. And you know, honestly, these two ladies right here, mavericks in terms of tone and, and making sure that everything is good. You know, um, It was a great day going to set, I'll Aww. say that much. So thank you. Wow. Thank you. Oh, pound it out, pound it out. Uh, your passion and your energy is absolutely infectious, I just have to say. Uh, Alfred, I want to ask you, your, your scenes with Wendell Pierce are just so amazing. They're so honest. They're so again, like everything else about the film, but this is this is at home. This isn't at work. Uh, I just want to ask, working with him, you know, capturing the honesty of a very mature relationship. Well, from the very beginning, Chinoya talked to us about uh, about the marriage, how important it was. The people who are who we charge to carry out all these things, they have a very high PTSD rate. Uh, commiserate with people in multiple deployments. Uh, people that are married, they struggle. Sometimes people are on their third marriage. Um, so it was important to show the effects, but not to sensationalize it and dramatize it. It could have been a quick, easy way. And it was a perfect moment to discover what is a grown-up marriage? What, how, what, do, how, what does a marriage look like? We always see it when somebody is cheating, screaming, throwing something, or leaving. But the truth is, grown-up marriage is staying there and working it out. And it's painful because there is no hitting. There is no breaking of things. 
and and you're forced you're forced to grow in it. So, but when when Chinoya and and Bronwyn said Wendell was on, we knew that we knew we could hit it because he's a very honest actor. He's a very grounded human being, and he is a man who. <laughs> tell it, tell it. We just say we had two actors who had been around the block <laughs> and run around the bed. I don't know what. <laughs> but just trying to stay honest and it's not pretty. It's, again, it's not sensational, but it's, it's probably what happened if you were fortunate enough to have your mom and dad together all the way through. You could hear them talking in, in the room, but it was stuff that was boring, you know, you didn't, you have to learn how to not leave. Right, yeah. well, that's, that's it, that is leave. it. Mm. Long term relationship, absolutely. She out here dropping knowledge on y'all, she out here. <laughs> Smile, go pick that up, take and that I, home. And I, and I will say about their dynamic, it's like, you know, talking about collaboration, I think that that was one of those moments that I felt the most collaboration because I, I've never been married. I haven't been, you know, in, you know, a 20, 30 plus relationship year relationship or whatnot. And so I really leaned on Alfrey and Wendell's ex own personal experiences and wisdom to help kind of craft and sculpt that relationship dynamic. Wow. Uh, yes, absolutely. Um, I just want to ask uh, questions to the audience because uh, now's a great time. Uh, but but hey, one, one real, real fast before I get to you, yeah. I just want to ask, like, people are now, like, the masses are finally getting to see this incredible film. What, what kind of conversations do you want people to have after the lights come up? Um, so many things. I mean, I... I first, I, I, want, I want as many people to spread the word about the film. And, you know, a film like this really does need word of mouth. It really does need you to talk about it on social media, talk about it to your colleagues, your family members, your friends. I hope that this film can really expand people's understanding of the American prison system and what goes on behind prison walls. I hope that it really expands people's capacity for empathy and for compassion, not just for people who are wrongfully convicted, but people who are guilty of, cr of crimes that they were convicted of, but it increases your ability or your desire to see their humanity and see how you, we are implicated in this system as well. And that hopefully maybe in your everyday lives it can push you to not define people by their worst possible acts. How about you, Alfred? You know, we talked about when you said there was a lull after Sundance in terms of activity as far as it seemed to go dormant, but things were going on. The thing that was frustrating for me about that period is that I knew that people were being put to death. And for me, and so I just felt like we need it out there now. Maybe that would have helped this person. Maybe that would have helped drive the conversation. Having the conversation, uh, whatever you do, talk about it. Talk about it in any way, but just move the conversation forward. And if you can, impart to people, people say, oh, that's a tough movie. I heard this a tough. I started watching it. I couldn't stay. Well, life is complex. 
and we're grown-ups, and grown-up things happen under our watch, under our tax dollars. Nobody's shooting you. You're not in Fallujah. You can watch Clemency, so let your friends know. <laughs> talent, talent. Um, everything they said. Um, also, you know, for me, I, I suppose my most selfish ambition is that it does help people engage the idea and the reality of what empathy actually is. Empathize before judging, because that's what it taught me personally, and that's what I would like for this art to give to the world, and, and that we have to re-engage um, in a civic way, in a humane way. You know, the question I began to ask myself when it came to the script was, do we as a society have the right to take the lives of those who have presumably taken a life? And if so, does that not make us like them? If it does make like us like them, what do you think of yourself? Will you judge yourself the same way? So we need to think a little bit deeply, a, a little bit more deeply about our complicit nature when it comes to this and, and how we are engaged and we can actually do something about it. And yes, sometimes people come out of this saying, look, I'm, I'm, I'm fired up, what can I do? And we're like, yes, we love it. And then sometimes people say, well, I don't know, bro, it was a little heavy, you know, I'm looking for some hope. And I tell them, look, you are the hope you're looking for. Know that, be that. This is a very inspirational, hopeful movie because it lets me know exactly the power that I have as a citizen. I am the hope that I want to see. So actively participate in your future and be the hope that you're looking for. Question right here. Thank you, my name is Shikari. Thank you so much for this beautiful film and the work that you all have done. Chinoya, uh, you said, of course it was a black woman. But I was sitting there thinking, I want to know more about that. So what made it important for you to cast this as a black woman? And then secondly, the isolation of the black woman. I wanted to know, she have a book club? Does she have a book club? <laughs> I don't think that we see enough black women as human beings on screen. And so one of the reasons I was absolutely unwavering about it is that I want to I want to I want a black woman to be the protagonist and to have to be at the center of the narrative and a narrative that's not solely defined by her race and gender or the emotional needs of a man. I want to see a damn good film that's rooted in artistry and craft and a storyline that is rooted in humanity where a black woman is not a mammy, a mule, or someone's personal entertainment. And so that was, that was like an underlying thing, you know, like these are the kind, because th these are the kinds of stories I wanna see. I wanna see myself on screen and I'm a human being. And, and so that, that, was, that was a big reason why I was adamant about it. And in terms of isolation, what was your question about isolation? I just wanted to hear more from you about that. I, I, I can't, and I, I can probably project my own what I got out of that, but I was just wondering if that was an important piece for you um, to have her singularly either in her profession or in her marriage or in a bar. And what I just wanted to hear you talk about that. 
I mean, I think her isolation mirrors Anthony's isolation in a lot of ways. And so I really wanted to draw parallels between Bernadine and Anthony that become much more um, apparent as the film progresses. And so these are two people who are, even if she did have a book club, even if she did have these other things, that there is an emotional and kind of spiritual isolation that she's navigating alone, but that parallels what Anthony is also navigating. So just a few moments ago, you said that the takeaway you would like people to spread the word. Yes. So how do you spread the word these days? You, first of all, I mean, the reviews have been absolutely superb, but this is how you can spread the word. So look, we're all on social media these days, right? So go on Facebook, go on Instagram, go on Twitter. If you're still using MySpace, that's totally cool. But <laughs> Friendster, whatever it takes. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so thank you much, so much. for being here. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. And we we're going to continue to expand throughout the country throughout January. So look out for that. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to the Landmark Theaters Q&A podcast. If you want to hear more conversations with filmmakers about the latest independent, foreign, and documentary films opening at Landmark Theaters, be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app or visit our podcast website at landmarktheaters.podbean.com. You can also check out our YouTube channel for videos of Q&As and other exclusive content. See you next time.